Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. All right, well, my name's Sean. I'm the Associate Pastor here at Exchange Church, and it's great to be with you this morning, and it's an even bigger honour and privilege to be able to share the Word of God and what God's been speaking to me over the last couple of weeks as I've been putting this together. Um, I'm especially excited about this message this morning because as I was putting it together, I was actually really challenged myself, and now I'm really just excited and enthralled to be able to share that with you and um, and as we work together in, in learning and growing in what the gospel says about this particular topic. So what I want to ask is how many of us know that when things are going well, it's a lot easier to be positive, it's a lot easier to be kind, it's a lot easier to do what is right, it's a lot easier to be disciplined, but when things aren't going so well, these things are a lot harder. When we're going through a challenging season, suddenly these things aren't so easy to do. It's hard to maintain positive patterns when things are crumbling all around us. It's hard to be kind when we don't feel like we're receiving that same level of kindness. It's hard to do what's right when our mentality has just been obliterated by circumstance. And discipline goes right out the window during times of struggle because reality is we just don't care. And this is the wrestle that a lot of people have within this life that we live. It's a genuine wrestle, but God calls us, irrespective of circumstance, to follow his lead in how we are to live our lives. And we do that through faith in him. And the fruit of following his call, it's a powerful, powerful call. It's encouraging to those around us and it edifies his body, which is the church. So what we're going to do today is we're going to read from 1 Peter 1, 13 to 25. So I ask you to get your Bibles out and we'll read it together, whether that's your physical Bibles or you just whip out your phone and tap a few buttons Personally, I prefer the physical, but I'm also very forgetful, so I'm thankful for the apps that uh, we can use as well. So 1 Peter 1, 13 to 25, and this is what it says. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who ransomed him from the dead 
and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come before you today and we can just learn from you. We just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would impart your wisdom into our hearts and into our minds and into our souls as well. And that we would leave today transformed by the power of your gospel in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Alright, so in this letter, what who Peter is writing to is Christians who are facing some serious, serious persecution. In fact, the persecution was so bad that these Christians who were once tightly together in Rome were forced to scatter uh, to all the five regions of Asia Minor, which we now know as modern-day Turkey. Now, some scholars believe that this persecution came towards the end of a guy called Nero. Nero was this ruthless Roman emperor who had it in for Christians, and the attack on Christians became so severe to the point of executing them as food for beasts or, or, or as torches to light up for outdoor party venues. So it was quite significant. And, and just a side note, it was actually Nero who had Peter ordered to be executed um, because he actually blamed Christians for a fire that ravaged all throughout uh, Rome. So uh, another side note, Peter actually also asked to be hung upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die the same way as Jesus Christ. So there's a little bit of a backstory to this letter. And so the purpose is to strengthen and encourage followers of Christ who are suffering, who are going through times of struggle, going through times of challenge, difficult seasons, and uh, we've got to remember also that we will have trials in this world. Jesus promised as much. He said, in this world, you will face trials of many kinds. But he also said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. And this letter is a great reminder as to how we are to respond when this persecution takes place. And again, it will. How we're to live despite the bumps in the road. And there's many bumps that come in the road. And this is the thing. This is what Peter is encouraging Christians in despite circumstances, saying that even in suffering, we are set apart in Christ, called to live holy lives, which produces a genuine and authentic love for one another. So in context of, of the specific situation at the time of this writing, Peter's calling these Christians scattered across Asia Minor, to a life of holy living. And it's like, what in the world are you talking about, Peter? Look what they've just gone through. Look what's happening right now. But he's saying, don't allow the fierce persecution to dictate how you speak. Don't allow your circumstance to dictate how you act or how you think, what your mentality is like. Because as Christians, we're called to a standard of holy living. And as we move away from the, uh, the, the former sinful desires of our hearts, if we go back to verse 14, 
Peter says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So we're called to leave that life in the rear view. Don't allow it to lure you back in because of your circumstance, but instead to be transformed and to be shaped by the saving work of Christ, of the gospel, and to kill sin. If you don't kill sin, sin will kill you, and to live holy lives. So the word holy, as it's used in the Bible, means to be sanctified, to be consecrated, to be dedicated, or to be set apart from the world or worldliness. Remembering that Jesus says that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And, and when he said that, that was actually said in the context of the world hating his disciples for preaching the word of God. So we're aliens to this world because this is not our home. We're merely passing by on our way to a much more glorious, much more luxurious, much better place. And that's a place that will reside forever. The things of this world, they don't really matter to us. The ways of this world, they don't impress us. We have something far greater that awaits us. We have a place far holier that awaits us. So to be holy means to be set apart from evil. God cannot associate with evil. He cannot associate with sin. He detests evil, and therefore we should follow these footsteps. That's why he says, be holy as I am holy. In other words, hate what is evil, love what is good, just as I do. So Peter is reminding these Christians, and it's a great reminder for us as well, of what we have been saved from, who we've been saved by, and what this should then look like outwardly, in our lives. So if we go to verse 22, Peter says this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So Peter's talking about holy living coming through obedience to God, obedience to the truth of the word of God, and how the flow on effect of this equates to genuinely and authentically loving one another. So as we frame what Peter's teaching here today, he answers three really important questions and makes three really important points that I believe will be the most important takeaways for us individually, but also as a body, also as a church, as a family. And that's what we are. We're a family. So the first thing he talks about is the purpose of holy living. And the question, why? Why must we live holy lives? Well, as we said, holiness is a characteristic of Christ. It opposes sinfulness. And as Christians, we follow Christ, so we too should oppose sinfulness. No matter how great or small we may look at each sin or perceive it to be, it's still sin in God's eyes. And we ought to oppose it. We ought to go against that sin. And therefore, we seek to live a life that glorifies God and a life that honors God. So we're called ambassadors of Christ. And as we go out into the world, we represent our Lord and Savior. If we're known for our faith, 
and we are yelling and abusing people in traffic. Maybe they cut us off or maybe they took our park. Or we're going to the club and we're getting drunk on a Saturday night, then going to church on a Sunday. How do you think that might look to a non-Christian? It's not a great witness for Christ. However, and that's me being showing the critical side of the ledger, there's also the other side of the ledger as well. If you display the love of God really well, especially when you're going through times of trial, when you're going through really tricky seasons, then that will appeal to people as the Holy Spirit opens up their hearts and they see the joy of the Lord through you. And that's our ultimate call as Christians, not to get comfortable within our own salvation, not to have an inward salvation, but in our love for Christ who bled and died for me, that I would follow his command to go out and make disciples. Now, this doesn't always mean shouting repent from the street corner with a big megaphone. Hey, if that's what God calls you to do, go ahead, be my guest, do that. That's, that's great. Um, but there's other ways and other means to do that as well. It also can mean just displaying the fruit of the Spirit, living a life that represents Jesus. And trust me, people notice. People notice these things. People watch Christians like hawks to pick up on hypocrisies and all this sort of thing as well. Now, we all know that we will never be perfect. That's why we're Christians. We know that we're not perfect, so we know we need a perfect saviour, and we have that in Jesus Christ. But what if we were to deliberately try to minimise some of this hypocrisy? What if rather than pushing and shoving, we just let things slide more? What if rather than speaking through emotions, we speak through our faith in Christ? What if rather than choosing bitterness, we choose forgiveness? What if rather than controlling our husband or our wife or our boyfriend or our girlfriend, we just trust them and trust God? Now, we don't do these things to prove those unsaved people that are watching us wrong. We do it out of a genuine and great love for God and to follow the call of God. But it's then outwardly seen by unsaved people as well. Now, we cannot ever possibly fully repay God for what he's done for us, for Christ's saving work on the cross and his work of grace in our lives. We can't possibly ever fully repay him to the amount that he deserves. But we can make a deliberate choice to live for him. And we can make that choice today. We can make that choice tomorrow. We can make that choice the next day. And we can make that choice every day forevermore. We don't live holy lives because we're forced to. We live holy lives because we want to and because we love Jesus. And we love Jesus because, as the Bible tells us, he first loved us. He called us. He blessed us with the greatest gift of eternal salvation. And we get to live with him in glory forever and ever. That is the greatest gift. So living holy lives glorifies God, and he deserves that more than anything else. So that's why. That's why we live holy lives. The next question, or the next point, is the place. So when and where must we live holy lives? Well, turn with me to verses 15 to 16, 
And Peter says this, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So, always, in all things, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now, where I come from, all means 100%. If I go out and buy a box of donuts and I say I'm eating all of these donuts, I can guarantee you I am eating all those donuts and I'm probably licking the box as well, all the icing. (laughs) So, (laughs) I've lost my place now. (laughs) Donuts in my mind. And they're holy too. So we must be holy because our king is holy. He hates sin, so we hate sin. He loves his church, so we love his church. He served, so we serve. He is holy, so we too must be holy. I asked Job the other week, who's your role model? He answered Jesus. And I said, you're sounding like a pastor's kid. You know all the right answers. And then, but then I asked him, what does it mean? What does a role model mean? Or what is a role model? And he said it's someone that you respect. Not a bad answer. I said, kind of. It's someone that you look up to. It's someone who you want to copy, someone you want to emulate in your life. You want to be like them. So if Jesus is your role model, before you make any choices in your life, you would think to yourself, and I don't mean this in the old cliche way, but still makes a valid point, what would Jesus do? And your role model might be your dad, it might be your mum. What would dad do? What would mum do in this situation? And you copy what they would do. Why? Because I want to do what they would do. I want to be like them. Well, here's a prime example of allowing God to be our model. Be holy, for he is holy. You're holy, then I want to be holy. So that begs the question of where? Well, similar answer, all places. In conversation, speak with love, respect, valuing the person you're talking to and the person you're talking about, if that might be the direction of the conversation. As we worship, put the phones away, unless, of course, there's an emergency, and also make an effort with all people as we're at church. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, so let's make a conscious effort to build connections with our family. As a church, our mission statement is connecting people in Jesus and growing people in Jesus. And focusing on that growing aspect of this statement, relationships with Christ aren't going to grow if we aren't fellowshipping well and we aren't discipling well. And discipling, yeah, it takes sound biblical understanding, but it also takes the heart. And it takes a posture of love and discipline to live as God has called us to. At home is another place, specifically for husbands and wives. If we can turn to Ephesians 5, 25 to 29, it says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So husbands, that's what holy living looks like in the home. That's the role of the man of the house. To be that representative of Christ before your spouse. Treating her with the same love and the same servanthood that Christ did the church. Paul is looking at me like, yeah. Well, let's read Ephesians 5, 22 to 23. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also the wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So what does holy living then look like for the wife? It's just respecting their husband. Personally, I think wives have it good. All they have to do is submit. Everything goes bottoms up. Our fault. We made the decision. They get off scot-free. But it's also important in public because, again, as imitators, as ambassadors of Christ, as representatives of Christ, following the call of holy living in a public space shows the work of Christ in our lives. And it's there for people who don't yet know him to see on full display. It could be what God uses to bring somebody else to salvation. Our ultimate mission is to see people coming to Christ, growing in Christ. Living a God-honoring, glorifying life is a certain way of potentially helping someone to come to know Christ. So we've had why do we have to be holy? We've had where and when do we have to be holy? The last question is this, how? It's all well and good that we know all these other things, but how on earth do I then do that? This is the big one. And I think Peter answers it best in verses 22 to 23. So let's turn there together. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So holy living comes by abiding and following the character and instructions of God. And we learn how to do this through reading his word, through studying his word, and therefore knowing his word well. The most valuable asset we have is our Bible. Last week, Stephen called it our jewel, and that's correct. That's exactly what it is. It's the most precious thing that anybody could ever own, is the Word of God. And it tells us how we are to live holy lives for the purposes of God. We see the character of Christ, merciful, compassionate, gracious, forgiving, sacrificial, He's a servant, opposing anything that's evil, desiring that none shall perish, truthful. And all of this glorifies the Father. If we follow the patterns of the character of Christ, and that is to be obedient to God, to be obedient to God's word, then the effect of that is genuinely and authentically loving one another. And we do that from a pure heart. And we do this not through our own strength, but through our love for God and the work of His Spirit 
in our lives. Now, I'm going to tell a recent story, but I'm not going to mention any names because of potential embarrassment and also I haven't asked, so got to do the right thing. But a few weeks ago, many of you, many of you and your dogs probably know by now that our car broke down and uh, that caused a whole heap of stress, a whole heap of worry for us. Um, I was with a mate at the time who was attempting to see what the issue was and we were trying to kind of resolve it. And we then took it out for a drive to see if we'd got to the bottom of the problem and we broke down and pulled over to the side of the road. So he was with me. He ended up spending the entire day with me, organising mechanic, trying to see the problem for himself. He probably saw um, that I was well and truly in frustration mode and I really appreciated the Christmas music at the time to try to cheer me up. But this, this is gospel love, going out of your own way to try to help somebody else at a time of, of need. And that was sacrificial as well. Missed out on a day's work just to try to help someone out. Secondly, I know that my mind went to a number of issues. One being, given Paula's hours at work and her location, I'm thinking, how on earth am I now going to get Job to school? I mean, he could take the bus, but I've got no idea how that works. And if I don't know, I doubt he would know. Could walk there, but nah, not doing that twice a day. So um, someone offered to take Job to school, and not just for the one day, but as often as needed until our car was back on the road again. That's gospel love. That's rearranging plans and routines, and let's be honest, sleeping hours as well, to help someone out. And finally with this was camp. And I was thinking, how are we going to get to camp? Maybe we can hitch a ride with somebody. Well, somebody offered me their car. And not just for camp, but through the week to be able to take Job to school. Now, it turns out that we were sick all of that week. And I think I only used the car once. But um, it doesn't change the gesture. And again, that's gospel love. Now, personally, I've been blown away by all of this love and support, and I think I can speak on behalf of Paula and Job as well. Um, And it's only confirmed to me that we are at the right church, and and that's not because of what we gained out of this, but because that's the heart of a Christ-centred community. And that's what everybody, every Christian wants to be a part of, is a Christ-centred, genuine Christ-centred community. And it's really challenged my own heart and my own mind when it comes to serving others and that sacrificial love, because being honest, if I can just put it out and lay it out on the table, that's not something I'm very good at. And that's something that I'm working on and something that God's working on in me. And, and seeing some of this happen for me has really helped me to develop. Man, this makes me feel so good. You know, I should be doing this for others as well. So these are all actions of holy living. It's through obedience to the gospel that we love one another. Christ loved us so much that he was willing to suffer so greatly so that we might gain so greatly. He wasn't beaten, mocked and killed in the process of defeating sin and death so that we could come to church and unrighteously judge one another, tear one another down, accuse and abuse, talk behind one another's backs, live in disharmony. That's doing a grave disservice to what God has done who God is, and what God has called us to do. If we turn to John 13, 34 to 35, 
Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's massive. By the way, one another means a two-way street. It's not kind of, I'm going to, you know, well, someone's going to love me and that's great. But it's every angle. We all love each other and display the same love of Christ to one another. So that's massive. Firstly, loving one another as Christ loved us. How did he love us? He sacrificed. He was willing to suffer for us. He taught the truth of the gospel. And then secondly, in doing this, in loving one another as Christ loved us, all people will know that you are my disciples. This backs up what we mentioned earlier. To display the love of God, to live a life that is worthy of Christ, creates a great witness. Not only within the church, which is hugely important, massively important, but also within the community as well. The holy life, it's a hard standard to honour in the modern world that we live in. We genuinely live in a 2 Timothy 3, 1-5 world. And we're going to go there. If you want to read along with me, 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. That's pretty harsh. That's pretty brutal. But you know what? It's also very true. And it's a snapshot of the world we live in. That's it right there, exposed for all of us to read. Isaiah 5.20 says that in the last days, evil will be called good and good will be called evil. And what are we constantly hearing in mainstream media? That we are supposed to support sin and anyone who doesn't is a bigot. I'm a bigot. So it's easy to be swamped by the evil agenda of this world. It's easy to easily just be drifted away. And it's not always done in such an easy-to-comprehend way. Sometimes it's very subtle and very gentle and slow, a slow process. So this is my encouragement in this, is hold fast not to your feelings, not to emotions, not to your thoughts, but hold fast to the Word of God. Hold fast to the teachings of God. Hold fast to the holiness of God. And live through your faith in these things. Because it's through holy living that the light shines in the dark. It's through holy living that the church is built up and grows in the gospel. It's through holy living that God is not only seen, but he's heard through his beloved children. Living holy lives is not easy. We aren't always going to get it right. And I don't want to impress upon you that that this is an easy task and we're to go out and just live these perfect, perfect lives now because that's just not the reality of it. But making a deliberate and conscious effort to do so, spending time in prayer as you ask the Spirit to guide you and to lead you in it, 
Spending time in his word, not just simply reading it like a Dr. Seuss book, but properly studying it, devoting time for God where everything works around him as opposed to vice versa where we try to fit God in with our schedule. Try to fit your schedule in with God instead. Organizing time for fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ where you can encourage, support, love one another, help one another. And making a habit of doing this not as a once-off, but doing this consistently. All of this will put you in good stead. The call of holy living isn't a rigid call where it's works over salvation. We aren't saved by our works. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And nothing can take us away from our salvation No matter how much we mess up, if our faith is in Christ alone, built on that rock, that solid rock, we have a genuine belief in him as Lord and Savior, then we are saved. But the call to holy living comes from a place of knowing that and having that faith, having that faith in what Christ has done, believing in him as Lord, having him as Lord in our lives creates a genuine love for him, and that then, the flow-on effect of that is creating a genuine love for his people. For us, it's our church. Because we are a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We've all been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And we're all in it together. And we are to support one another. We are to help one another. We are to guide one another. Sometimes someone will be going through a really good season and we can celebrate with them. Sometimes they'll be going through a, a, a difficult season and we can mourn with them. But we are to be in it together. Expressing the love of God in one another's lives. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, thank you, Lord, for what you have done. We thank you for what you've done on the cross. We thank you, Lord, for your redemption in our lives. We thank you for your grace that has allowed us, Lord, another chance of of living with you eternally. That we get to live in your glory one day. We just thank you for the call to holy living. Lord, we just pray that as you spoke to us today and as you continue to speak to us, perhaps throughout the rest of this week about this, uh, uh, this particular topic, we pray, Lord, that, that we would seek you in it. Lord, that we would allow you to guide us through the power of your Holy Spirit to genuinely love one another with an authentic love, with a genuine love that honors you and which glorifies you, and that the fruit of your Spirit alive in our hearts because of you, because you dwell within us, would then be there for the community to see. And then more people will see you, Lord, and more people will come to faith in you as they see the work of you in our lives. Lord, I thank you. We thank you for this call. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be holy as you are holy. And we would follow your lead by your strength and not our own. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.